the Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and friends. Welcome to another episode of The Boys of Tech. This is episode 320 for Tuesday the 3rd of March 2015. My name is Edwin Herman and I'm joined by two co-hosts. First of all, welcome to the show, Brett King. Hello, hello. Hey, good to have you here. And uh, I'm also joined, or we are also joined by Ben Sunko. Thanks, Ed. It's a while since we've, the three of us have done a show together. Yeah, it has been a while. And by the way, episode 320 has some significance. Does it? Well, in that... Oh, every it, episode has significance, doesn't it? <laughs> Haven't you got a spreadsheet or something? Well, this, this one does for this reason. As of this episode, we have as many episodes using the new logo as we did the old logo. We change logos at episode 160. Oh, you should change the logo today. <laughs> we have to design one. That took a, a couple of months, didn't it, Brett? Yes. Mm. So we could, but no, we won't. So anyway, there we go. I we love the new logo, by the way. Well, it's not so new anymore. It's like three years old or whatever it is, but it's it's really nice. I like it. So anyway, let's look at some of the tech stories uh, we're going to cover this week. First up, I wanted to talk about Google Maps going yet to another place that is normally very hard to, to get through, the Amazon jungle. So, you know, they've got this backpack camera thingy. Yeah, yeah, yeah for remote remote photographing. Mm. And for going into buildings, for doing building. Maps. Yeah. Oh, okay. So they've teamed up with Amazonas Sustainable Foundation, also known as FAS, to explore a remote part of the Amazon rainforest. This is in Brazil. And so this is going to be great because, you know, we're going to be able to browse these so-called street view, <laughs> still, still calling it street view, um, street view images of these remote places. I love that. I think that is so cool. Yeah, they do some pretty cool stuff in this kind of space, hey? the, mm. the, big, the big evil big brother. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, that's one of the, the, the least evil things they do, really. It's, yeah. it's great. Yeah. It's really good. And I don't know many. I mean, there's a lot of companies doing aerial photography. You know, there are a dime a dozen these days. But, you know, doing this sort of stuff, this sort of imagery, I really don't know anyone else that matches Google. So what buildings have they gone on to? I'm not sure, but I know you can um, you can get them to go through your building, can't you? Is that right, Brett? Yes. You can get them to come through, and uh, I don't know. If, I, I think they come through, don't don't they? You, you they don't give you the gear. Well, or do I, they? It, I guess it depends on how important they think your building is to map, because they at least at, at one point accepted um, photo submissions of the environment of a place to be the interior mapping for Street View. So, so you take the photos yourself yeah. and then submit them. Yeah. Oh, I guess it makes that it was, easier that's for what them. what I read when I was reading about their mapping projects. But taking no, the photos... You, to map inside buildings. But what would you take the photos with? Because there's no positioning data. I guess it's best guess sort of thing. Just Yeah. 
Wow, that's a, that must be a lot of work to restitch that all back together on Google's part. Oh, well, I guess if you took it on a phone and put GPS positions in, it would be fairly accurate to yeah, but the you angles. You you've got to have the, oh, you know. I mean, yeah, I mean, it would do. It would do better. It's better than nothing, though, isn't it? Yeah, oh, well, true. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And you could probably guess the orientation, like, especially if there's a lot of natural light, you'd be able to guess the orientation based on the, um, on the light. If it's all um, just based on fluorescence, then that becomes pretty hard. Mm. So anyway, they put this uh, the zip line, aka Flying Fox, uh, through the Amazon jungle, and they uh, sent uh, sent someone across it, and it, they you know, they got their. Did picks. they send somebody across it, or did they just send the camera across? It? Well, that's but what I was. Look at the sure. pictures I've seen. It is just the camera. Oh, is it just the camera? Yeah. Is it? They okay. put the camera on the flying fox and they sent it across. Oh, okay. About uh, yeah, okay. That, 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 I would have liked to have gone. It's about sixty meters across. I would have loved to have done that. Myself. I would well, have liked to have been going across that. Well, <laughs> they they do it a lot. There are adventure places in the Amazon where you can go across it. Like yeah, they have jungle walks that are all through the canopies. Yeah, that's true actually. And I would love to do those one day. I really mm. would. Mm. You should get a Google backpack and do it. <laughs> yeah, maybe Google should yeah, pay yeah. us. That's what they should do. Google should pay people to, you know. Isn't there a company in um, Spain or somewhere that pays people to wear that sort of thing, like Google Glasses sort of thing, and then people can do VR and, like, tell them where to go and then... Oh, yeah, you know, we talked about that a little yeah. while oh, no, yeah. a few episodes ago. Did we? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. human it sort was of. It a, a story about, you know, instead of going to visit a place, you pay this company who has people who they pay in those locations who wear a, a camera backpack and you basically wear VR goggle, like the Oculus Rift or, or any of the other oh, VR things. Oh, yeah. And you okay. experience what they are experiencing. And I think they tell you where to go. So you act as an avatar for them, and you know that's your job. So you listen to them, and so yeah. within the, reason. So as the paying well, customer, I, didn't I can think tell it them was real to turn time. left, turn right. That I didn't get that it was real time. I oh, get, I thought I it was. That it was. I thought it was like they could time. say, you know, go into that shop, and then they would they would go into that shop. I thought it was like that, but ah, maybe maybe get not. That. Or at least that's not what I recall. Because then it would, yeah. Because then it would rely on a one-to-one relationship. Maybe, yeah, maybe it wasn't that. Maybe. Mm. Although maybe you could pay for that. Sorry, something something that people would pay extra for, I think. In terms of imagery, I, I really don't think you can match the remoteness of some of the places that Google has been. Well, I'm waiting for, for isn't is there a Mars Street View? Yeah, no, didn't they? Not that I'm aware of. I thought they were going to do it. There was, there there was, was a story about it, wasn't there? Yeah. There's, right. there's, there's Google Maps, and maybe they've okay. stitched together the, the NASA rover Yeah, pictures. I thought they did. I think they might have, yeah. So that's pretty remote. Yeah, there we, yeah they have. I, I'm, I'm sure they have. Yeah, Mars, Google Maps, Treeview. Yeah, they have done that, actually. They've done a, a, or a similar sort of thing. I think there's a project. Anyway, there you go. So uh, Google are now going in through the uh, into the Amazon jungle, and we're, we're going to be able to view some Street View on that. Looking forward to it very much. I guess so. it's a bit of an anticlimax, isn't it? You know, we start talking about Street View on Mars, and then it's like, but they made it to the Amazon. Like, <laughs> a little bit closer than Mars. <laughs> yeah. Well, still though. All right. So let's. Uh, what else have we got? We got. Uh, oh, this. Oh, yeah. The story that uh, Brett, you you uh, threw up there. This freak. They're, they're calling it a freak floor and Andrew. Freak is an acronym, isn't it? Is that right? 
Yes, uh, yes, yeah. stands for factoring attack on RSA export keys. Right. And it's a flaw in Android and Apple devices that could cripple HTTPS encryption. In fact, in a way that it can be decrypted, right? Is that kind of the, the gist of it? Pretty much. It works on a flaw that in the in the olden days, anything that, you know, any software or anything that was created in America could not be exported with a, above a certain level of encryption capability. Mm, we're talking about circa 1999 here. Exactly, exactly. Because mm. after that, they changed their laws and suddenly it opened up again. Mm-hmm. But we had people what happened is that people up. who created software that included encryption basically kind of created two tiers of encryption. They created their general encryption, which was if you were in the US, and then they created their export level encryption, which kind of turned on when you're outside. And unfortunately, a lot of web servers, etc., still have the, the facility for that low-level export encryption. And a lot of those SSL modules that are being used in these things would generate an encryption key, an export-grade encryption key, once when the server started up. So all you needed to do was grab the encrypted key once brute force it, and for the entire duration that that server stayed up, and you know server uptimes on web servers is quite good. So for the entire rest of the time that server is up, you can sit as a man in the middle sniffing every other piece of thing if you can get these affected devices to pass through as an export level encryption instead of full level. So Brett, I I think the bit though that you haven't mentioned, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm just trying to understand this, is that brute forcing is possible on the old export level ones because they're such low bits. Because they're such weak keys. Right, such, okay, gotcha. Right. Very weak keys. Okay. But the fact that they're generated, and a lot of these systems only generated once for the server boot, not per Mm. session. It means, yes, you can make one one connection to that server, get that key, then spend your time decrypting it, brute forcing it, then you've got the key, and then you can snoop any other thing. Okay, but here's the, the other bit part I don't of get... it is the fact that they can mm. force. I uh, I cannot remember where in this article now they talk about how they force it, but they have in these in Android devices and Mac and iOS there is a vulnerability that allows the man in the middle to trick the browser into using the export level encryption key, not the regular level ah, encryption key. That, that's the bit I was going to ask about. Uh, that, okay, right. Mm. Yeah. So it's kind of that two-pronged thing. They're going by, there is a weakness in the fact that these systems are still still have the export level key and a lot of these systems generate it once for the entire duration of the server uptime and so they can grab that key and get it and decrypt it the other part of it is the fact that these other devices the the android devices uh the iphones and macs they have a vulnerability in their browsers that allow them to be tricked into using the export level encryption and so that means the man in the middle can force you to use the export level encryption that it already knows the key to and then snoop on everything. Yeah. Okay, so let me get this straight. The easiest way to fix this is for Google and Apple to fi- uh, fix their devices, the code in their devices. 
Indeed. So and the, the, Apple has already announced okay. that they will have a patch out for iOS and for OS X next week. I believe Google has said they've got something coming out for Android, uh, a patch for Androids at some point. There's probably some devices that can't be patched that will then lose support. Oh, older versions, uh, maybe? Yeah, because that'll be white. Yeah. yeah, that'll be why it's there. Or very, very cheap ones, maybe. Um, that have been made recently. Maybe they they won't have enough memory to support a full, you know, proper certificate. Or it's hard to know. Mm. Okay, I ha- I have found the part, and Google has already said that they have sent a patch out to their distributor to their partners. So all of the people, the manufacturers of Android devices, have received the patch. Mm, how long is that going to take yeah, to get it, back it, out there? It's then up to obviously your whoever created your handset to. Um, yeah, what's your release cycle? Do you force it on people? Do people even know that there is one? Do people ever update their phone? But the other yeah. thing is just the the number and type of websites that are vulnerable to this. We're we're not just talking, you know, your your, your third-party places and your little blog sites and, and that sort of thing. We're talking places like the, the FBI's website, uh, numerous bank websites. So, I mean, it's a backwards compatibility thing, though. Like, you know, you get a security... Exactly, but it's a backwards yeah. compatibility thing that has not been necessary since 2000. Yeah, or, uh, yeah, 1999, yeah, I think. Unless, mm. you know, a requirement is that you support IE6. Which, I mean, even to this day and age, we're still seeing that every now and again. So it's like, yeah, what but things even IE6 do you have to turn had off? the ability for full encryption yeah. because these mm. different systems allowed you to have full encryption inside the United States, but weakened encryption if it was used outside the United States. Well, I mean, that's an interesting. So it's, that's, itself, that's the point with this is that it's because there was that dual encryption system built into these things. If you were in the United States, you would use the full encryption. If you were outside of the United States, you were forced to use the export level encryption. So it's the fact that both of those systems are still in a lot of these and, and Brad, and that is what's causing mm, this issue. And as you said, they are, there are some big sites on there. Let me just list a few. Businessinsider.com, AmericanExpress.com, Bloomberg, MIT, as in MIT.edu, TinyURL. Uh, and there's a bunch of others. There's, there's some really big sites here. Well, yeah. at least tiny URLs not used on many mobile devices. Oh, wait, it is. It's used on every mobile device. Right, that was sarcasm. Okay, I think Brett and yeah. I were both going, hang on, that, that's sarcasm, right? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> He's not just completely misguided. <laughs> yes, I have, I have no idea where reality exists anymore. Um, Windows is fantastic. They make great products. I think it's good value for money. Uh, Macs are fantastic as well. Linux sucks. Okay. Ben. <laughs> All right. I, don't, I think you need. I think you're not well. Hey, look. Uh, the thing is, with tiny URL, it's just a URL redirection. So I, I mean, uh, you know, what's what's there really? But I, I think for some of the other sites, yeah, they, it's a worry, isn't it? I'm, I'm glad you posted that story, Brett, because I wasn't aware of that, and uh, well, I am now. Mm. Mm. Well, it's a very new story. All right. So Apple is working on a. Fix, is that correct? And Google yep. have just released one to their partners. I think mm-hmm. that's, is that what we said? Yeah. Right. Okay. 
All right, one last story for the international section. Very quick one. The Forbes Rich list is out again, and three of the top five are technology-related people or once were technology-related. Bill Gates is back at number one, right? He hasn't really left much. (laughs) What was that, Ben? He hasn't really left number one very much. Uh, yeah, well, he was leapfrogging with the uh, with Carlos Slim Helu. But he's been like 16 in the last 20 years or something. Yeah, he's been up. Yeah, I know he's been up there. So, there, yeah, anyway, um, Larry Ellison, I think, is number, is he number five? Yeah, he's number five. Let, let's go through the top five just so it's nice and clear, right? So, number one, Bill Gates. Number two, Carlos Slim Helu, the Mexican telecommunications mogul. Number three position is Warren Buffett. Number four is Amancio Ortega. Uh, that's, he's a Spanish co-founder of the clothing retail chain Zara. And number five is Larry Allison. So three of the top five are technology-related. Mm. Mm. And yeah. interesting that two of them... Early in those, you make a crap ton of cash. Yeah. Interesting that two of them have supposedly given away all their money, but they're still like right up there. Yeah. Uh, who's yeah. The, well, Bill Gates and... And Buffett. Oh, Buffett Warren Buffett. Huge yeah. chunk yeah, yeah. as well. They, they but keep I guess that, lots of money because they keep making more money. Well, it kind of helps that when you when you donate the money to a charity organization and that organization has to buy products from your company, your company tends to do quite well out of that. Yeah. So, in other words, what you're saying is philanthropy can be beneficial to your company. Both ways. If, if you can ways. force it, that that's your your customer. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, I know. I know what you're doing there, Ben. But like, let's let's be fair. They they didn't have. I. Yeah, they, they, didn't they could have, have been d- like Steve Jobs and not been philanthropic at all. Or or did he just not sort of chuck it out there like they are? You kind of want. I'm sure he did stuff. There are lots of articles on Steve Jobs. Uh, Steve Jobs's philanthropy. And he likes to work behind the scenes very quietly. So there's a lot there. There's a lot of reading uh, I think you might want to do there. Anyway, there we go. That's the Rich List. And that pretty much concludes the international section of the show. But we have one story for a New Zealand section right after this. Don't go away. Hey, welcome back. And we all know that Netflix is... Coming soon, I think, this month, right? In New Zealand? Apparently. Well, there's news out that uh, they've teamed up with Vodafone to deliver Netflix, or at least it's a partnership, I should say, between Vodafone and Partnership in a promotion from Vodafone. Yeah. You sign up to a a two year Vodafone Red Plus plan, you will get six months free Netflix membership. Hmm. Though I think most people who are on a, a large data package probably already have a Netflix membership in New Zealand, um, but their Netflix membership will be for the US version of Netflix where they can watch, you know, more shows. Yeah, but there's always other things you have to use to get that, though, isn't there? Well, yeah. So it's not that hard to, to do a, you know, global mode VPN anymore. Yeah, but there's always people that don't want to do that. Or, you know. oh, I, think that I think Ben's right. There, there, there's people that just really they're not interested in going through these technological loop uh, oh, hoops, yeah. jumping yeah. through these hoops. You know, they, for they those don't care. People we have there are multiple other online streaming services coming here who will be offering more shows that are popular. 
Yeah, in some ways, the fact that we've got so many of these little players is a bad thing because each one of them is going to try and snap up a, you know, one big flagship show for its rights, and it means we're going to be diluting that whole market. Well, that not, is one of yeah. the things that Netflix is offering when they when they open here in New Zealand is going to be less than what they're offering in Australia and significantly less than what they're offering in Europe, which is significantly less than what they offer in America. Well, I mean, they can't even offer their own shows because their shows are so popular they've sold them to other networks. So Precisely. Um, yeah. So signing up for a Netflix New Zealand account does not give you the level of shows that you would get if you signed up to the Netflix US service and used a VPN, which is what most people who watch Netflix do. Okay, so Brett, it'll just come down to what's the value proposition here, like anything. It'll be like, Indeed. okay, if, if I want to sign up, what, it how much does it cost, what, what do I get? the most popular shows currently and what service is providing those shows. And the most popular shows that are currently popular in New Zealand are being offered by not Netflix. Well, can you give us an example? Because I, I really don't know. Um, no, I can't because oh, I read cards. that news article last month. <laughs> House of Cards <laughs> okay. would be the big one. House of Cards is a flagship show for um Yes, and House Netflix. of Cards is not going to be available on Netflix when it launches. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, because it's already been – it's so popular it's been sold. Yeah, so in this case, it's, it's been sold to Lightbox. Distribution rights is for Sky, I believe, isn't it? Uh, for broadcast, but for online, it's Lightbox. Lightbox. Okay, that's yeah. is that Telecoms or Spark or whatever yes, they're called? That's yeah, Bucks. yeah. Mm. Um, okay. But this sort of partnership's been going on for a while as well. Like the when the Premiership Football um, went online through that company, um, Telecom offered a package deal where you could get subscription and unlimited broad, unlimited traffic f- to that um, to that website. So there's these sorts of things been around for a while as well, these partnership deals. Yeah. It's beneficial yeah. for both. The partnership deal is, is absolutely nothing new. And it's just unfortunate that the stupid way that they do global licensing and, you know, syndication rights means that, yeah, you basically get screwed over depending on what service you want. Yeah, but Netflix would have known this is coming, so I'm sure the license deal they signed was only like one or two years. Like, it's not going to take long before they get it all back. And as they start to get their own brand back, the other ones will drop down and we'll probably end up with a, a two-system model, which is fine. Well, you know, if there's one player, one uh, streaming provider that stands out from the rest and, and becomes, if you like, the leader... It's in the interest of the content. Monopolistic. Wouldn't that come afoul of all of the company rules about monopolies? That's why you need two. Yeah, that's Ben said too. But here's what I'm saying: if one becomes bigger, or a couple of them, if you like, stand out from the others, it's in the interests of the content providers that you know, like the, the the people that produce the content, to do deals with those people. I mean, why wouldn't you? Mm, yeah, well, why soft, wouldn't you sorry. say, here you can have our content, here's how much we'd like for it, let's do a deal. You want the most exposure for your show. Yeah, you that's right. That's right. Indeed. That you Indeed. Mm. Yeah. So I think maybe things will sort of settle down to maybe, maybe like you said, well, Ben, you could be right. Things will start to settle down when these, different, when these different licenses have started to expire. But what I think will happen initially is that Netflix's initial offering is not going to attract as many people as they think it will. 
Well, I wonder mm. if this is a bit of a soft launch as well. Like they know that their their real key customers are still using the US, and they're going to carry on using it for the reasons you gave. And they're going to slowly sort of introduce into you. Maybe they don't have a huge infrastructure here. They haven't. Maybe they don't have a large pipe. They don't have a a huge contingency. Well, they've got no infrastructure in New Zealand. It's being so out of Australia. They probably want to do it slowly. I mean, Australia is basically New Zealand as far as our networks are concerned. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like um. Yeah, so maybe this is a way of doing a slow launch and then as they iron out all the issues and increase their content, which will then increase their market share and yeah. just grow, grow it gradually. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right, look, let's leave that story there. But while we're still in the New Zealand section, I just thought I might mention, just got a comment there on our website under episode 318 from Alex, who says, you asked about non-Kiwi opinions of the New Zealand accent. I'm an American and I could listen to US tech podcasts, but I specifically listen to yours because I like hearing the New Zealand accent. So thank you, Alex. That's very nice to uh, we've responded to you uh, online. So uh, it's yeah, it's good to know. The tones of your voice. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it might be yours, Brett. I don't know. <laughs> it's the accent. It's the accent. So because I think we commented, didn't we? I think it was with you, Brett. Uh, we commented yeah. on how we thought the Kiwi accent was not particularly interesting and was in fact it's quite a lazy accent uh, with a lot Maybe of particularly that's what with makes the vowels. Easier to understand. Yeah, I thought or, it was the opposite. Nice to but, listen to. Maybe, but yeah, I guess yeah, horses. The courses, right? It kind of reflects our culture, though. It's a very laid-back accent. It's very dry. It's very... Hmm. I mean, I would even say sarcastic and, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's very much like us, I think, as a mm, nation. I, I, guess, I guess so. I guess yeah. so. All right, so anyway... Uh, if you want to drop any comments to us, just you can do that on our website. I'd love to hear from you. Other than that, look, uh, Ben, thank you very much for co-hosting. Oh, you're welcome. It's good to have you on the show again, and likewise with Brett. Always a pleasure. And we'll do it again next time. Until then, have yourselves a fantastic week. See you next time. Goodbye. Ciao.